Well, this morning is a uh, very special day um, for the church, and we will be uh, taking a vote on a new pastor at the close of the service this morning. I had said Wednesday night at uh, this morning, I really wanted to just preach and have worship with you, and that's exactly what I want to do. Just to say to you this morning, we will be taking that vote at the end of the service for a new pastor, and we'll be giving our membership an opportunity to cast that vote and give us direction for uh, the future of the church. And I believe that God is uh, directing us and showing us, and I have full confidence that God knows what he's doing. And uh, he is uh, leading us in a, in a very wonderful new direction, I believe. And uh, I would just say that when we cast a vote, uh, we often think, well, we're voting for this person or that. But I want to just suggest to you this morning that when we cast a vote, it's more an expression of who we are and our commitment to be a part of the bigger Uh, ministry that God has called us to in this place. So as you vote this morning, you'll be voting to support, to get behind the leadership of the church and to move forward as a church in ways far beyond anything you've dreamed or imagined to this point in the life and the history of this church. So with that uh, said, I'd like to get into the Word of God this morning and to really uh, worship together. If you take your Bible this morning or if you brought your iPhone, iPad, or iPod, or whatever else there is out there electronically that you're carrying around in your pocket. Uh, if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, and I'd like to read uh, the first uh, nine verses together with you, the first portion of the ninth verse, uh, with you this morning, and as we would uh, focus the attention uh, of our thoughts today. This uh, passage of Scripture is one that is very familiar. We've probably heard it and read it and uh, heard it preached many, many times. But uh, uh, just uh, in the last week, uh, this uh, passage of Scripture has just caught my attention afresh and anew, and I just felt impressed that this morning, this is where the Lord would have us to go as we would look to God's Word. So if you would look with me to Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with that first verse, and would you stand with me as we would uh, reverence the reading of God's Word together this morning? This may be the only chance you get to say, hello, feet, wake up. It may be the only chance you get to kind of get your blood pumping and wake up and stretch and whatever you need to do so you don't sleep through my sermon. That's very offensive, you know, to a preacher when you get people falling asleep on you. Uh, My wife, uh, well, I won't pick on her this morning. I learned a lot to do that. But anyway, she's always uh, bright and wide awake. But let's get to the scripture. I'm about to get in trouble. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Let me read that again. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin 
your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And God said, Go and tell his people. Pretty powerful stuff. What great truth for Grace Point Church of the Nazarene to sink its teeth into on this Sabbath day. Let's pray. Father, we do praise your holy name this morning and thank you for the power of your word. We know that, Lord, there is no wisdom in man other than that which you give to him. And this morning, Lord, there is nothing that I could ever say that could touch the hearts of these wonderful people unless your Holy Spirit comes and moves your hand upon each individual heart. And it is my prayer once again this morning, Lord, that somehow this morning that you would uh, hide this preacher behind the cross. That what we see this morning and what we hear would come fresh from the throne room of God. And for all that you do in this service, and for all that you're doing in the lives of the individuals here today, we give you praise and thanks. And we commit ourselves, Lord, to you to listen this morning. And that whatever you want to say to us individually, Lord, and collectively as a congregation, we want to hear. And our promise to you is that as you speak, Lord, your servant is hearing. Lord, lead us into full obedience of your word today. We just give you praise and thanks and glory in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Recently in a service in one of the churches where we were, we sang a hymn that uh, we have sang for years and, and uh, one that I have sang the words to and never have, I guess for some time, really thought about what I was singing about. But the words caught my attention, particularly on that Sunday a couple weeks ago, when we began to sing, showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. And I thought about those words, and I thought, boy, you know, there's a lot to that. There's a lot that we need to be hooking into and plugging into in our own personal life. I needed that that morning because showers of blessings we're praying and we're singing as a church that there might be, that we need the showers of God's blessing. We're saying that all around us, there are these raindrops that are following. It's sprinkling on the church. But my desire and the desire of the author of that hymn is that there might become a real downpour of God's fresh anointing spirit upon the church and upon God's people. My attention has been captured in these recent days by the testimonies of different places and different individuals where the Spirit of God is moving and, and something different is happening. And I particularly have been moved as I've re, uh, read over and over and over places in the Scripture that just keep taking me back to this place about the glory of the God. In, in Exodus, the 40th chapter, we find that Moses, he has just completed building the, uh, the temple or the tabernacle. And as he's built the tabernacle, the scripture says at that very moment when he finished building the tabernacle, that the cloud came down upon that place and began the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle in that very moment. In fact, the glory of the Lord filled it so much that he couldn't even get in to do the service that he was about to do. 
The glory of the Lord impacting that place in that moment. And if you remember from the history of Israel, that every, that the glory of the Lord came down, the cloud, it covered the tabernacle and it stayed there. But when it was time for God to move the church forward, what did He do? The cloud would raise. And by day they would follow the cloud and by night they would follow the fire. And that cloud would lead them until God brought it back down. And once again, it would, that's where the tabernacle would stop and that's where it would rest. And the people knew where God was they could see the glory of the lord wouldn't that be wonderful they could tell that the glory of the lord's down there oh yeah we look down there and yeah there's the tabernacle the glory of the lord is still there yeah good wouldn't it be great today if we could look at the church and say whoa the glory of the lord is still there we're right where we need to be and that is my prayer that god would help us to once again to know and experience the glory and the power of the glory of the Lord in our midst. In the first Kings, the eighth chapter, Solomon then now has completed the temple. And uh, as he's completed the temple, they bring in the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as uh, they had left the room from placing that Ark of the Covenant there, the Scripture says the glory of the Lord filled that place. It was almost like it was a magical moment. The glory of the Lord just sweeps in and sweeps out, and it is leading its church. In John, the 17th chapter, when Jesus is praying, it's uh, right after he's had that last supper with his disciples. And just before his betrayal and the cross of Calvary and all of that, And it's in that time frame where Jesus is on his knees before the Father, and he's crying out to the Father, and he's saying to him, Father, in the first five verses of that chapter, he's talking to the Father about himself, and he begins to say, Father, that glory that I had, I pray that as I come back to you now, that glory will come and be mine again. And what he's talking about there is that incarnate glory of the Father that he put on the shelf when he came to earth to be among and part of mankind. But as you read further over into the chapter, in in verse 22, you find that there he begins talking about glory in a different way. And it's not that uh, pre-incarnate glory now. He is praying in that 22nd verse. He says, Father, the glory of the Lord that is in me and that I have given to my disciples and that I have given to my disciples to pass on to to the generations to come, I pray that that glory of the Lord would continue to be in the church down through the generations. Jesus was praying even back then that we might know and experience the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is the literal presence of Almighty God living within and filling His people with all of Himself. And i got to tell you, I'm so tired of playing church. I am so tired of trying to look like we're Miss Nancy Nazarene. I think if we could just kind of get a a fresh glimpse of God in our life, and if the glory of the Lord were to make His way upon the church again in a fresh and a new way, I believe the church could be a new place entirely, and we would have a much greater impact upon the world in which we are living today. Seventy-six years ago, and in just a couple of weeks, there was a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that was uh, started through revival. I think it was out on the east side of Fort Wayne. And there was a revival that took place. And guess what? During the course of that revival, the glory of the Lord came. 
And there were people whose lives were changed that will never have been the same because they came into relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and their Sanctifier. Out of that uh, great revival, there were five people who organized as charter members what they called the East Side Church of the Nazarene. A month later, they decided, we need to have another revival. They put up a big tent. They had another revival. And I think back in those days, revivals went two or three weeks. But during that period of time of revival, guess what happened? The glory of the Lord swept down upon that place and blessed those people, changed lives. The church continued to grow and become more and more of a church. Within five years, that uh, organization called Eastside Church of the Nazarene had their own building, their own first building that they could call a church home to worship in. And the glory of the Lord continued to reach down and to minister to that church. And then uh, over the course of time, the church continued to grow, took on a new name. I guess it must have got married. It became, uh, what was it, Lake Town, Lake Avenue, wasn't it? Became a new church. And once again, the glory of the Lord continued to minister, and the church grew. And the church eventually became Grace Point Church the Nazarene and continues to minister. I read a, a little uh, insert from one of the uh, fundraising brochures when they were raising money to build this building. I like something I read there. I want to read it to you. It says, Since 1936, the people have set the stakes of the church wherever the Lord has directed them. And we are not just a Sunday church. Rather, we are a spiritual home throughout the week for young people, singles, families, senior adults who come here to be ministered to and to serve God. We are a place where they can experience the glory of the Lord. What an incredible thing. The church still believes that we are to be, the, we are to have and experience the glory of the Lord in our presence. And Pastor Jerry Stipp, in his last report to the district, right before he died, his, uh, his report read this way. He said, once again, I report that the salvation candle burned for 52 Sundays this year, indicating that from our, our ministries, at least one person was saved every week of the year. You, friends, have experienced the glory of the Lord over and over and over and over down through the years. There's no reason to quit now. God still wants to pour out His Spirit upon this church and to use this church in mighty and powerful ways. The church has had 14 pastors and now in its basically fifth location or fifth church facility. And in 76 years, and with each, the Spirit of God has responded to the cry of the heart hunger for holiness in the lives of the people and has brought the glory of the Lord upon the church. And he wants to continue to move upon the church in new ways. I have to say to you this morning that when we walk out of here today, God continues to have a full agenda for this church. We can't just uh, put it in neutral and kind of coast along. God has a much greater plan, a much greater vision, and uh, a much greater obligation 
for us to this community than we have ever even began to see in our mind's eye. You know, this community is full of children, young people, young families, grandpas and grandmas, people of all kinds that are filled with distress in their life from sin. People who day by day are just living by that next drink or that next bit of, uh, of, uh, of drugs or that next bit of something else that kind of carries them on for just another little hour or so. It doesn't last. You know, the thing is that people that are living in sin, they really don't realize how deep they are in sin and how far away from God they really are because they can't see themselves. You know, they're kind of like uh, that little place in the back of your head that you kind of try to cover up, uh, that little bald spot perhaps, and you kind of try to keep that covered. And if you're like me, you're fortunate to have someone who's very careful to point out when that's not covered. And uh, she'll, she'll point out and say, hey, you, you really need to take, a, take your comb and you need to cover that one little, it's really rather, rather bright back there, and you need to cover that bald spot. Well, I'm thankful for eyes that help me to see that, that little bit of a problem there. I'm just thankful it's not like some that the whole thing's, you know, shining. I still have a little hair to cover it. I guess what I'm saying to you this morning, though, that it, that's very much like those that are not Christians in the world today. They, are, uh, they don't understand. They don't see this part of their life that's covered because there's kind of a film over their eyes. And they need the Spirit of God to help them to understand how far they are away from the presence of Almighty God. It's important for the church to not be there in judgment, but it's important for the church to be there, to be eyes and ears and to love people enough to help them to be able to see themselves in relationship to a Heavenly Father. So let's look at our scripture this morning. In Isaiah the 6th chapter. And the second part of this chapter is the story of the nation of Judah, and they are living in sin and disobedience. They've attended all the temple services. they brought a multitude of sacrifices to the Lord. But their heart, their hearts were far from God. And their worship, it was hypocritical. Their vision had become blurred, and they had lost their focus, and they could not see God. And here I just want to put a, in capital big red letters this morning, I want to just print out that word for you, caution. Because, friends, any time when we begin to lose that fresh vision of God in our life, we very easily begin to move further and further and further away until we are so far lost, we can't even believe how far we've moved away from God. And what I want to remind you of this scripture this morning, it brings that to our attention. He's crying out to Judah and saying, you have moved away from me. You need to have a fresh vision. I want to give you fresh eyes to see the power of God working in and through your life. So I want to talk to you about fresh eyes this morning. What happens? What happens when we see God with fresh eyes? Well, I think the first thing that we see is in verse 1 there, there's chaos. In the very first verse, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I'd say death is chaos. 
And it was in that time of chaos that things began to happen. It caused them to be, caused uh, him, Isaiah, to begin to look at the Lord. Fifty-two years, Uzziah had been king over Judah. They loved the man. He was a great and, and wonderful leader. He had, uh, he had done so many wonderful things for the people of Judah. He developed an army of 310,000 uh, soldiers, and he had served for 52 years and brought the, the Judah into great prosperity. And everybody was just comfortable with this great leader that they had, this king, Uzziah. And then... Wouldn't you know, leprosy, and he dies. And it's in that moment of chaos, that moment when everything is disarranged and our comfort level all of a sudden begins to change, that our vision begins to shift. And Isaiah said uh, Uzziah was not there to be the focus any longer, and our eyes had to look beyond. And what did we see? We looked, and high upon a throne was the Lord God Almighty. And the scripture would tell us this morning that it begins in chaos, but in that chaos we can find an almighty God who will make the difference in all of our days to come. I talked with a lady here Wednesday night who said to me, "Um, I lost my husband a couple years ago, and uh, I really have struggled. And she said, you know what I found out? I found out that through that chaos for two years that I didn't have my eyes where they needed to be and now the Lord has given me fresh eyes and I see him and I see his strength in all the loneliness and and so forth that I'm experiencing I see him and he is making that difference in me and in my life I saw the Lord on a throne in a time when life was rough when things were not going the way I wanted them to and when I felt like giving up I saw the Lord in all of his glory and the seraphs heaven's heaven's worship team began to assemble, and they were gathered around this throne, and they began to sing out, and they began to sing out in such a fashion that it literally began to shake the foundations of everything, the doorpost. It began to shake everything, and, and they were shook up by the fact that, uh, by uh, the singing of the angels, when, or the seraphs, when they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, they didn't just come singing, holy, holy, holy. I mean, these seraphs, they were out there with their trumpets. They were out there singing to the top of their lungs, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you see the Lord high and lifted up, you can't help but to proclaim that He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what I pray for in the church, that we might have a new revival of the Spirit of God, that we might see Him high and lifted up on that throne and cry out, Holy, holy, holy. Well, let's uh, look at that fourth verse and know that they cried out holy. And then in the fifth verse, the second thing that we find when we get fresh eyes is not only that of chaos, but now we come into confession. In the fifth verse, we realize that the closer that you come to the Lord, the more you realize that you need to confess your shortcomings. I don't know about you, but when I'm alone with God, He begins to reveal things about myself. Sometimes I'm not real happy about those things. I'm a little uncomfortable, to be frank. 
And he begins to tell me, you know, you've got a dirty, rotten attitude about this. Or you're carrying too much of a worry on your shoulders about that. And he begins to lay out some things that I need to take a closer look at. And when we get in the presence of God, there is a confession that has to take place. And Isaiah, in the presence of God, when he saw himself in comparison to God, he began to realize how far away he was from God. And he cried out, Woe is me. Now, when he said, Woe is me, that's a term that uh, means more than just like, Well, poor, this is terrible, you know. Shame on me. It was more of a, a death cry. I'll never forget when we were in Israel and we visited the Wailing Wall. And even as we left that wailing wall, there was a lady there that day who had been through, I'm sure it was some kind of a death experience, and we've tried to imagine over and over exactly what it was. But for blocks and blocks away from that wailing wall, we could still hear this woman who was wailing out, crying out to God, and she was reaching out to him and in a very loud way. And that's exactly what this means in the Scripture. When he said, Woe is me, he let it rip. He let the world know, I am an undone man. I Woe is me. I am far away from where God wants me to be, and I need to do something about it. And he confessed. Samuel Logan Bringle wrote of his encounter with God. He said, I saw the humility of Jesus and my pride. I saw the meekness of Jesus and my temper. I saw the lowliness of Jesus and my ambition. I saw the faithfulness of Jesus and the deceitfulness of my own heart. I saw the unselfishness of Jesus and my selfishness. I saw the trust and the faith of Jesus and my doubts. And my unbelief. I got my eyes off of everybody but Jesus and myself. And I came to loathe myself. All I could say was, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am ruined. I am undone. There are two meanings to this being ruined and undone. One of those meanings is to mean unholy. That's not what you'd think. When you think unholy, it doesn't mean like you're a deep, dark, lost sinner. Unholy, in this, uh, in this scripture, the reference here, is missing something in order to be what I need to be. I know, that, I know from being in the presence of the Lord, there's some things that are missing, and I'm not what I need to be. That's what it means to be unholy. I'm incomplete. And aren't you thankful, though, that he still works on us? Aren't you thankful that God didn't just give you a zap one time and walk away and say, okay, go and enjoy life. But day by day by day by day, he walks with us and he talks with us. And he shares with us. He stretches us. He helps us to grow. And all along the way, he's working on us. But he is with us in that process. Thank the Lord for that. The other meaning there is that it is to be worthless. And it doesn't mean what, it, what we would think there as well. Worthless doesn't mean that we're not worth anything. Worthless in this, uh, in this particular uh, passage is in reference to coins. And uh, a coin in, uh, in this uh, passage would be one that was weighed out by its weight. It was valued by its weight. 
And uh, the face of that coin was, uh, was added that weight that, was, that made it worth what it was. And the longer that coin was passed along, the more that face would wear down, and the coin would lose its value. And what it, this is saying is that we're not worth nothing. It's just that we're worth less than we were when we had a fresh vision of God. And that he promises that he will give us that, uh, that uh, back that we have lost, that we can still have fresh eyes, that we can still be worth everything in the blessing that God has intended for us to be. That's a great promise of the Scripture. The third thing is that when we uh, experience uh, fresh eyes, we go through chaos and we go through confession, but that, that brings us to change. And you can't get to change until you've dealt with confession. Until you've laid it out before God and acknowledged, Lord, I see that I am, I am far from what I need to be. Then we're in a condition where God is ready to be able to work in our life, and we can let him to do that. So the third part of that would be change. And we look in verses 6 and 7 there, and we find a change taking place. The angel took the coal and he placed it on his lip to cleanse and to purify his sin. His guilt was taken away, and his sin was atoned for. Did you hear what I said? His guilt was taken away. Anybody here today carrying around the guilt of your past? I bet you there is. I bet there are a number that are still carrying around the guilt of those poor decisions that you made. And I want to tell you this morning that when God forgives the sin of our life, He forgives those experiences of the past. And although we wish they hadn't happened, He forgives us of those. And we can go right on living beyond those past mistakes. He, he forgives us and He brings us that help and that comfort in that time of, uh, that time of what we do that. In John, first, uh, first John 1 John 1.7, it says, The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. A continuing action. He continues to purify us from those things that become a part of our life. And then the final thing that we see here is that out of change, there comes commitment. In the eighth verse, we find a great uh, commitment that takes place. See, the guilt is taken away. The sin has been atoned for. And now, changed with fresh eyes, now we find Isaiah saying, whoa, wait a minute. He's tuning in now. He can hear where he couldn't hear before. I'm hearing the voice of the Lord, and he's calling for somebody who will go to Judah and who will preach the word and who will minister in his name. Oh, here I am, Lord. Here I am, right here on the front row. and Here I am. Let me go. Send me, Lord. What a change, a change that takes place. And that brings commitment in our life where we begin to say, Here I am, Lord, send me, use me, take my life, I am yours. I have to tell you this, and uh, we'll just about wrap it up. When I my uh, first pastorate, I had uh, just graduated from uh, college. And, uh, you know, I had graduated from a Nazarene institution. And I felt very confident that I had the best in the education around, and I was ready to take on and lead a great church. And so as I entered seminary, I called the DS, and I said, you know, I really like preaching, and I'm interested in getting started in ministry. And So if you've got a church, I'd really be open to you uh, giving me a call. And uh, what I'm thinking and what he's thinking are two different things. You know, I'm thinking, well, when you get a church of 200 or so, I'm ready to go. I'm your guy. When you get that right church, it's ready to grow, and they just need a great pastor. I'm the guy. Call me up, and I will go and do that. 
And, uh, you know, he says, uh, well, I appreciate that, and I'll keep my eye open. I'll let you know when something comes up. And a little time goes by. He hasn't called. I think, what's the matter with this guy? Doesn't he recognize a jewel that's really coming? I mean, there's a diamond in the rough. If you just get on this thing, you could have a great pastor. And so I call him and say, you know, I'm still ready out here. If you got a church of about 200 over there, I tell you, I would be a great pastor for that church, and I'm ready to go. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that call. Boy, I, I'm sure you would. And, and uh, I know uh, one of these days the right thing will open up. And when it does, you're my man. I'll give you a call. It's just like the Lord to give us fresh eyes. And he took this old Isaiah and <laughs> kind of took him to the woodshed, you might say. And he said, uh, you know that little church that runs 7 to 12 on a Sunday where the DS's had you going to preach? You might want to think about that. And the DS on the phone said, you know, Dave, those folks there at that little church, they sure love you. And they, they'd like for you to come be their pastor. And I was saying, oh, that's really great. They're wonderful people. But, you know, I'm kind of, I'll be ready for that church of 200 until the Lord spoke. And my next conversation with that district superintendent was to say, you know that little church where I've been preaching over there? There isn't a church in the world that I would rather pastor than that church. God called us. Fresh eyes. And we went there for four and a half years, some of the most wonderful years of our life. Church grew from seven to over a hundred. Wasn't Dave Rowland? But I want to tell you, when we get our eyes off of ourselves, we get our eyes off of the Uzziahs of our life and get our eyes upon He who sits on the throne. That's when everything changes. I have no regrets, none. Except that I called the DS and made a fool of myself so many times. But he finally got me where I needed to be. And I want to just say to you this morning, as a church at Grace Point, God has a great plan for this church and for each one of you as a part of this church. We're just going to take fresh eyes to see where God wants to take you. You can't be the church you've always been. God is preparing you to be a church that is much grander in its outreach and ministry to this community than you've ever thought. We're very comfortable about saying, come on down to our church and we'll have a great worship service. And God is saying to you as a church, it's time to go. When Isaiah came to that place of commitment in his life and said, here am I am, Lord, send me. The Lord said to him, Go and tell those people. And I want to say to you this morning, it's time. It's time for us as a church to go and tell those people. We need fresh eyes. And if we're living with fresh eyes, there's nothing that we can't do for the glory and the cause of Christ. Are you committed to that? Do you really want to be a church that is not just sitting out here somewhere, but a church that has tentacles into the community in every way? 
Wouldn't it be something if, if the mayor and all the city councilmen, all the leaders of this community, if they were to get saved? Wouldn't it be incredible if this community became a great place of prayer where from the leadership of the community right on down to our churches, people's lives are being changed by the mighty grace of God? That's the way it happens when a church like this begins to be a praying church and trusting and believing that God is going to turn those corners if we will just be the people he's called us to be. But it comes back to commitment. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Can he send you? Not just as a body, but can he send you individually? Oh, well, yeah, we can do it as a church. Oh, but not me. Yeah, you. Every one of us, individually, it's us. He's counting on you. And he wants to give us fresh eyes. I'd like to pray for you this morning, and then we're going to ask the tellers to come, and we're going to take a ballot for our pastor. But as we pray this morning, I want you to just begin to talk to the Father about yourself. You have fresh eyes. When was the last time you looked up and on the throne was God? High and lifted up. And it was such a blessing that you began to cry out in your soul, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy is He. In His presence in such a way that there is nothing else in the world except you and Him. Holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. Father, you know each one of us in this place today. And you know much greater than anyone what the future of this church looks like. But it is our prayer today, Lord, that as we draw closer to you, and the more that we live in your holy huddle, that we would see ourselves in the light, the reflection of God. And that, Lord, you would help us to confess. You'd help us, Lord, to make those changes You'd help us, Lord, to come to that place where we make that commitment in our life where you are able to send us out as people with fresh eyes to do the work of the kingdom. We pray in a moment as we take this vote that, Lord, you would guide us today and we continue to pray for your wisdom as we seek your holy face. Lord, every single one of us that are here this morning, I pray that we would not be able to walk from under the spell of your Holy Spirit right now but to continue to focus upon the need for fresh eyes in our own life. I pray for the glory of the Lord upon this place, on these people, and that every time somebody drives by this church or every time somebody connects with somebody from this church, there will be that awesome drawing of your spirit of the glory of the Lord. We just pray this this morning, Lord, and thank you for your provisions for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.